Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Alec Barian and over there is Brad Williams. Today we are talking about the progression of MS and driving from no controls to driving from your wheelchair with hand controls with Christine Umapathasivam, who has worked with multiple key positions as an advisor. She previously worked for the MS Society and she's now on the CEO of Cystic Fibrosis SA. So Brad, this sounds like we're gonna have a great chat. Are you ready to chat with Christine? Yeah, I can't wait for this one either. We've had so many great interviews lately and uh, this one's going to be another one. So let's get going. Let's do it. Welcome to the Drive Able podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Hi everybody, I'm really excited to get into today's interview, but before we get started, a shout out to our sponsors that make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes a lot of time and a lot of money to put together, and we just want to say thanks to our sponsors for helping you bring this podcast today. And today, we have Christine. Christine, thanks very much for joining us. How are you today? Excellent, thanks Brad. That's good. Uh, we're going to start with the question that we have for everybody at the start is just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your disability. Oh, thanks, Brad. Uh, well, my name's Christine and um, I have MS. Um, I'm currently working as the CEO for Cystic Fibrosis SA. Um, I was probably diagnosed with MS, seems a long time ago now, but maybe 2000 and 13, 14, um, when I was in my early 40s. Um, at first, it started off as just, you know, tingling feet and tingling hands. Um, and then over the ensuing 20 years has sort of progressed to the point where now I am mobilised with a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was faced with the opportunity well, mostly driven by me, I guess, um, to uh, purchase a vehicle and have it modified um, with the support of the NDIS, which I have done. And, um, and uh, probably the best thing that I have ever done, really, um, insofar as independence is a very big uh, thing for me. Um, I like to be able to go to work when I want to go to work. I like to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I'm really not keen on waiting for somebody else to have to transport me, which was getting to be where the, where the situation was going. I had a different power chair. And once I got to work, it was um, uh, okay. But I had to wait for someone to come pick me up. I had to wait for them to come and get it out the back of my car. I had to wait for them for me to transfer and them to take the car away. And then I had to time my leaving at the end of the day, not when the work was done, but uh, the prearranged time that I had to be downstairs because the person that was coming to pick me up would pull up there at a particular time. I wasn't really very keen on that. I put up for you that whilst the car was being modified, but uh, always knew that my end goal was to want to do something and just get in the car and do it pretty much just like everybody else. 
So we just unpack that a little bit. So you were adjusting to your disability by need asking people to help you with your transport needs. So you were, what I'm getting from what you're saying there is that you had a wheelchair in the back of the car, but you couldn't, you couldn't get it out yourself and you had to organize other staff of where you're working to come and get it out of the car to help you get in and out of the building. Is that right? Um, Initially, when I had a manual car, I would kind of struggle around the back, transfer to my legs and a frame and struggle around the back and pull out the um, uh, manual wheelchair. But once it became uh, a power chair, I, I didn't have staff doing that. I just had I just paid someone um, as a support worker to come morning and night and help me do the transport. Right. Um, so what kind of car did you have at that point to be able to get wheelchairs in and out and, and so forth? It was the super cute Nissan Cube. And oh, uh, what I had done is I had removed the back seat to create just a big space. Um, it already had a manual ramp installed. So I just kept that there, but took out all everything beyond the driver's and passenger seat and, um, uh, use that space as really storage for the wheelchair. A little mini panel van. Yeah, yeah, little, pretty, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, they're they're a, they're a great car. That is in cubes. I um, I mean, as a wheelchair, sometimes they're used a little bit in the industry as a wheelchair accessible vehicle, which is more for children. But um, but they're a very versatile car. We used to have one at our company actually. It's a bit of a company runaround, and it was um. Even though it's a really small car, it's uh, really, really versatile. It's uh, got a lot of space and um, good to drive in as well. So that's pretty cool. It's got, it's got a lot of hidden technology also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, for, um, for the age yeah. of the car. The other thing, I, I, of course, is it was incredibly cheap to run. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you have any hand controls or anything? Or was, no, or just, nothing. So you just nothing. had someone to help with um, just the... the Sort of just pulling the wheelchair in and out yeah, yeah, um, because I was still using my feet for just regular foot pedals, really. And the cube had a ramp, so they were just bringing it in and out of the ramp. They weren't actually yeah. manually handling it. Yeah, yeah, they were just like rolling it up the ramp and bringing it down the ramp and then bringing it around to me at the door, uh, the driver's door. I would drive. Yeah. Because I, I always drive. And then when you got home, the carer or the support worker would meet you at home to do it all again? Is that? No, they would pick me up here. I would go down in my wheelchair. They would pick me up here. I'd transfer to the driver's seat and then they would put the wheelchair in the back and together we would drive home. Oh, and then gosh. when we got home, uh, uh, he would take the wheelchair out of the back, put it around the side so that I could then go into my house. And then how did they get back to where they were? To the... oh, their, car, their car was parked at my house. Okay. Sounds like a lot of lot of hard work and a lot yeah. of organizing and uh something that would have would have chewed into a, a massive chunk of your day. Nowadays, what what's what's happened since then? So that was the old old way of transporting. What's happened? Yeah. Where are we up to I now? Just quickly before we get okay. into that, just, just to interject, did, um was the support worker part of NDIS? Yes, he was. Yeah, okay. So that's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. So now it looks like, what does it look like now? So now in the in the morning, I uh, transfer off of a frame into the wheelchair 
I have an automated back door. I go down the ramp that's been installed, down the driveway to the back of the car, open up the car, which, which provides me with a uh, remote control uh, ramp that comes down. Uh, I go up that, scoot through the middle of the car because currently I've got Volkswagen minivan, so plenty of space to do that. Um, then roll forward, lock in, and using hand controls, drive my car. So, so you so use you your wheelchair right yeah. through to the driving position and, and yeah, lock into place and, and use hand controls from there. That's correct. And then I drive to work. Um, I'm fortunate that I have my own dedicated park car park, so that's pretty easy into the ABC. And then um, uh, the ABC building is what I would consider fully automated. So I go through the front door um, uh, with my pass and I go into the lift up to the third floor. And when I get to the third floor, one door in the lobby of the lift is also automated. I can access it with my swipe card, so I do. Uh, and then I'm into my um, office. Yeah. Should I want, should I want, however, to visit the ladies? They are also fully automated. That's oh, so right. We could have another podcast about that one, but we will bring it back to driving. Um, <laughs> that just sounds completely different. And that, how does that, how does that rate for you? Where does it, has it made a difference? to your life, not relying on the, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but how significant is that change in regards to that independence and not relying on support staff to, to come and help you with your it's, it's, transfers? It's everything. It's kind of like my car is an extension of the wheelchair in so far as it enables me to just do anything. I can go visit friends. I can go out for lunch. I can go to the shop just because, you know, Shops yep. are good. Um, and I don't have to sync my day to anybody else's. I just do it when it suits me. And that 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 does suit me to be able to do um, whatever I need to do. So tomorrow I've got to go into the city before I come here. Um, I'll just go in the car, park it. The other thing too is because my access to my car is through the rear door, although if there's a disabled park, I would probably park there. If there's just a regular park, and it's uh, particularly if it's um, angle parking, I'm coming out of the back, so I actually don't care about anything on the sides, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a is a, a really good thing because you just go out the back, you and then you proceed with your business, whatever it is you're doing. Um, my wheelchair also is a bit handy in so far as it can go a bit cross country. Um, Unless, unless you're in a wheel, unless you're in a wheelchair, I think you don't pay much attention to floor surfaces. But when you're in a wheelchair, floor surfaces are everything. And thank you to Woolworths for making sure theirs are always flat um, and um, universally across their shops. I have to say, um, so therefore I go there and spend my money. But um, things like, oh no, our building is accessible, no problem. Just come in the side door. Oh, by the way, our car park is loose gravel. You know, wheelchairs don't like loose gravel that much. Mm -hmm. They just their wheels just spin. You can get no traction. But unless you're worried about that, or unless you, uh, you know, know to look for that, you just don't even see it. 
and oh, we've only got a tiniest, weeniest step at the front door. Yeah, well, a tiny, weeniest step at the front door may mean the difference of me going in or not. Yeah. So, you know, I just feel like um, unless you have a reason to know and understand what some of the access barriers might be, um, you know, people just don't see them. They don't really understand. Yeah, yeah. They don't what, understand. Um, what kind of chair are you using that helps with that? Uh, well, I don't know if it's the chair or whether it's how it's supposed to be used, but I just power on. So I just turn up the speed and power on through the grass over the gravel and hope for the best. And then if I get stuck, I'm just going to, you know, I always make sure I've got the phone number of whoever's organising it to tell them they've got a problem. It's me. I'm stuck in their car park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've got the problem. I don't. You've got a centre drive wheelchair, is that right? You've got centre wheel, driving wheel, or is there driving wheels at the back of your power wheelchair? At the back, I think. Yeah. Come on, that's a bit technical, Brad. All right, all right. We'll get bring it back to the car. We'll bring it back. How to about the car. I tell you? Um, how about I tell you it's red? Okay, it, red. Well, that makes it go faster. That's what we need to know. It, how that's do you lock exactly it into right. the, What kind of uh, dock are you using to lock it in? I'm guessing you're using a dock. Yes, the brand name is Dahl, D-A-H-L, and it's kind of like a triangle, and I just need to get over the pin that's in the middle of that triangle, and if, if you get it just the right position, it goes cluck, cluck. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't, and therefore you don't lock in. Yeah. So you have to try How again. Do you find um, getting on and off that? Is it relatively easy? I Well, I'm getting better at it. Um, I find that if I'm just by myself and I'm just doing my regular stuff, I have no troubles at all. But if there's someone there watching me, I'm obviously just off centre or whatever it is, and I have to do it, I don't know, half a dozen times before I get it in. Yeah. Right. But if I'm just by myself, I don't really have that much problem. And getting off the uh, lock is easy. I just push a button and it releases it and I can go backwards. But in my car, everything has to be turned off in the right sequence so that um, I can uh, go from the locked position to free to move position. So is, is that's it, been one of my lessons along the way. Is it a, uh, it has the floor of your uh, Volkswagen been modified and lowered to accommodate yep. for, yeah? Yes, yes, it and, has. And um, what was the company that did that one? Uh, I had my, um, I sent my van to Victoria to, um, uh, access mobility yeah. and my understanding I don't even like to think of it because it was a brand new car but my understanding is they cut the floor and lowered it um, so that I could actually drive in and have head clearance yeah. um, and then um, they did some nifty things too though for the passenger side um, so I have two passenger seats one behind the other next door to me uh, at the moment and um for the front passenger, there is, there is like a, floor, a false floor so that their feet are not just dangling yeah. the extra length because of the lowered floor. They've got like a platform to put their feet on more comfortably. So I thought that that was kind of a, uh, a thoughtful addition to um, just doing the modifications for me. And then, um, so the floor was lowered. You've got a, a passenger seat and a rear passenger seat on the passenger side. And you drive into the driving position and you've mentioned that you're driving with hand controls. Um, what kind yeah. of hand controls are you driving with, Christine? 
Um, oh, it's really cool, actually, because what happens with my hand controls is I have a, a right-hand spinner knob, which mm -hmm. I love, and then on the left-hand side, I control both the brake and the acceleration with my left hand. Um, and the acceleration, I think, is probably one of the coolest things about the car because it's it's just like a cotton reel on a rod and I just squeeze it with my fingers. However, because I went on a long trip over the weekend, I'm now in love with cruise control as well. Yeah, okay. Utilising that is a godsend for people with hand controls and, and people using their feet as well. But, yeah, no, cruise control can certainly take a whole lot of fatigue out of things. And uh, exactly. when you're when you're using hand controls, uh, being able to put that second hand on the steering wheel for those long trips can can really save your shoulders. I I didn't do that. I just put it on. I just put it on cruise control <laughs> and kept going with my one hand. Um, and but what I found two things. Well, first of all, you do have the fatigue to your arm and hand um, if you're trying to control the accelerator using a couple of fingers. Um, but uh, also, as your hand gets tired, you kind of drop off the speed that you're doing because your hand's releasing, and it means that for the overall long trip, you kind of take up more time. So if you can set the cruise control to a standard uh, regulated speed, you've got more chance of getting there in the reasonable, you know, in the reasonable time frame. So you're using your left arm, did you say, to with uh, for the hand control? Yes. What hand control is that? The left, because the, they're they're more commonly people are using their right. So the left is the more um, unique ones. Which which one is that? Hmm. You know? I'm not. I, I I'm not sure of the brand name of it. Bloody effective. How, how do how do you accelerate? How do you accelerate? What action do you do to actually accelerate? I use my. Uh, pointing finger and my thumb to draw the accelerator into my left hand and then I release the same thing. But I also use my third finger uh, as a bit of a, a cushioning of the acceleration. But yeah. let me tell you the other feature that's like super cool, I think, is um, behind, the, the, behind the knob that is the brake, there are a number of buttons. Um, you know, they control things like the lights, the windscreen wipers, I think high and low beams or something. But in the middle, there's like a silver button. And when you get on the freeway, um, um, you can push that silver button and like double your speed. So all of a sudden you're going at 80 Ks because that's probably the maximum that, you're, that your van can manage. Um, and But you're on the freeway, so you want to be going along with the rest of the traffic. So you push the button and it kind of goes whoosh. And all of a sudden, I call it hyperspeed, really. And at that point in time, I'm here to tell you that I really feel like I need to paint some flames on my van <laughs> so that it looks, you know, Good. equally fast and cool. Well, if there's anyone out there listening that wants to donate some, uh, you know, uh, flame painting to the yeah. testing, uh, let us Yeah, know. well, that's it. I mean, my, my, the colour of my, my van is a sort of a bronzy colour, and I'm thinking of some flames, you know, that come yeah. out the back. We kind of give other drivers a kind of a bit of a nudge. We um we get a, quite a few people come to us, Christine, and go, I don't want to drive a big van. I'm scared of driving a big car. Is that you've gone from a cube to a Volkswagen multivan? What was that like for you in regard in regards to size? 
So although I've had the band since last um, June, it was away in Victoria for at least six months getting modified. Um, having said that, when I first gave it to Automobility, they said, oh, probably before Christmas. I don't know about you, but any experience I've had with probably before Christmas means, yeah, you're not getting it till later. But they were true to their word and they were finished their work around about the 23rd of December. So that was all good. And then we just had to wait for the transport to go back and bring it to me. So actually, I've had it for about six months and still really learning not only about where all the controls are and, um, you know, how to use them, but um, also... Um, just understanding how the car responds and how it moves and what sort of spaces that you need. And you definitely are aware that you're driving a bigger vehicle. You're higher for a start, so you can see a lot more. Um, and, um, yeah, it's different, but I don't think it's particularly um, scary or, or worrisome. And... Um, I don't think I would I would hesitate again to to move into a van. I think it's you know it's um, it's it has other advantages too because I always travel with a portable ramp. Mm -hmm. I always travel with a um, walking frame like a Zimmer frame. They're all folded up and flat and everything, but you know uh, I've got a place to store them in the back of the van. They don't have to bother anybody. They can just stay there until, in fact. We all realise the step at the front door, in fact, is a step and it's too big mm -hmm. and we can put the ramp there because we've mm -hmm. got a portable ramp. So I come prepared. I come prepared for getting to where I want to be and doing what I want to do, I think, relies on you having just the right equipment. I think, it I think it takes experience to understand what's the right equipment for you, um, but I think that it's also... I feel my responsibility to make sure I've got that equipment so that I can do what I want to do. Yeah, it's a shame that you that you have to on on occasions, I'm sure. But it's a really good tip for other new wheelchair users that are that are transferring to a wheelchair. Uh, that yeah. taking a ramp with you can can potentially open up where you well, want you to get, get to and so forth. Fold, you can get the little fold up ones. They just go flat, and you just put them. Like I've got two deck pack two, ramp. No, what do you call those things? They're like um, compartments on each side to put stuff in. Yeah, so so just to explain what Christine's saying there, she's coming in through the rear in a lowered floor and near the wheel arches at the back of the van, there's there's compartments that you can put bits and pieces into, whether it's the handbag or shopping bags or, in this case, a little portable ramp um, or or the frame as well to keep them stable so they don't, so they don't fall out and fall onto the floor and um, get in the way when you're, when you're getting in and out of the car in your That's wheelchair. Yep. Yeah. I, I've got a really important question. Um, MS is one of the trickier, from my point of view as an OT, this is by the way, one of the trickier diagnosis to work with, with the, uh, with the NDIS because it's a progressive um, condition where it's hard to determine when actual aids are needed um, and preempting what's needed for the next eight years when we're talking about vehicle modifications. Mm. Christine, how did you take the leap 
from no hand controls and no wheelchair access through to needing hand controls and wheelchair access. What, what were the triggers for you to do that? Was it just the, I mean, we've talked about the assistance of carers helping you with getting in and out. I, I can see that one, but what about the hand controls more specifically? How did you know when you needed hand controls or was it the OT that made it clear for you? Um, well, um, if I go back to what the car means to me, it means my independence. So I was kind of considering an eight-year window, looking forward, you know, based on the 20, 20 or so years I've had of experience with MS, uh, I think for people with MS, one of the really challenging things to come to grips with, um, and it takes a while, is the uncertainty that it presents to you about your future. Um, you see people with MS walking around, you wouldn't even know they've got MS, and then you see people with MS who are severely impacted and confined to a wheelchair. And um, uh, it's just because MS is a condition that plays out differently for different people. Mm. And, and so there's that uncertainty. You know, am I going to be, for me, am I going to be able to work long enough to educate my children? Am I going to be able to work long enough to keep myself satisfied, you know? Am I going to be able to do these things in two to five years? So I thought about eight years and I thought, oh, well, look, I really don't know what's going to happen with my legs. Um, so I opted to say, let's talk about hand controls so that I could future-proof myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. yep. if, I, if the hand controls had sat there and done nothing um, for another three years I wouldn't care I would be happy to just drive um, but then I thought well probably <laughs> I thought probably you need a bit of training on how to use these things because I had no idea at all about how they how they worked I had them there in the car I had them installed in the car but that was really about a, a day in the future but I thought well I don't know how to use these things so um, I then started to do some driving lessons um, uh, with the assistance of an OT and um, start to learn about driving. And can I just say, if you're a driver and you've got a driver's license and you're my age, you've been driving for a long time using your feet, you don't think when you get in the car, oh, I'll just, you know, engage the clutch and um, I'll, I'll just um, brake now or I, I need to accelerate. You don't think that at all. You just do it automatically. But if you cast your mind back to when you're 16 and you're learning to drive for the first time, you know, the shock that you get when the car actually moves and the fact that you're thinking, oh, my God, I've got so many things to think about. Do I indicate, put the clutch in, take this brake now? Should I brake before the, the curb? Should I go around, you know, on, on with the clutch pushed in? You know, got lots and lots and lots. Oh, by the way, I forgot to indicate, you know, um, you've got lots of things to think about. It's a little bit like that, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I would sit there in the van and I'm kind of thinking, oh, right, I need to reverse. Now, how do I actually do that? Oh, that's right. I have to put this on, put the lock on whilst I change gears and I have to then slowly start to go backwards. But it, at the beginning, it was a lot of brain work to actually just even get to the point where your car was moving, let alone feeling like you had control of the car. Mm -hmm. And as you've said, it's a big car, so you want to have control of the car. So it was an active decision on my behalf. If I'm going to have the hand controls there, I'm going to learn to use them. 
so that in the future, if I need to use them, I can. Mm -hmm. However, the sting in the tail for the licensing, and by the way, I don't think the licensing people have got their act together in any form, really. Um, they can't work out whether you've had this license for, you know, forever. It's just a class C license. And, oh, yeah, no, that's you can still drive on that whilst you're learning hand controls or, oh, can you practice your hand? You know, you can't practice your hand controls unless you've got an instructor with you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there were two, there were lots of lots of things to consider that were not helpful. Um, so what I did find out though was once your license has been changed to to include the provision for use of hand controls, you're locked into that. You can't go on using your foot controls. You have to actually kind of move your brain to just always using the hand controls, and that took some doing. Mm -hmm. I have to say that. But then I just made a decision for myself that, you know what, cold turkey, let's just today I'm going to start just using the hand controls just by themselves. That's all I'm going to use. Yep. So whilst I was learning about hand controls, I was also independently just practicing by just taking myself for a quiet drive on Sunday morning just for the use of the hand controls. So I just visit a friend that's a reasonable distance away on the quiet of a Sunday morning and have a cup of tea and then turn around and go back just for the driving practice, you know, and then little by little, I kind of went, okay, well, I'm just going to drive to work. Now I drive through town, so there's a reasonable amount of traffic, but I just decided, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to uh, use this van. So now I only use hand controls. And do you and you, can you see the benefit in that now with the hand controls only? Is it is it is it potentially safer than than your feet? Or I think so, probably. I think so, probably because um, uh, I have difficulty kind of lifting lifting my leg from the the um, what is it the quads. You know, are kind of weaker because I'm in the wheelchair all the time. Yeah. Um, but I have difficulty lifting them, and I'm starting to lift my leg by holding my knee and pulling it up. It's which, you're not which, the only person with MS that comes to me that is doing that with their right hand under their right knee, assisting yes. to get their foot from pedal to pedal. And just yesterday, I had a lady that said, "Oh no, that's too hard. I use my left foot on the brake instead of oh, oh yeah, the, I've heard people doing that too. Yeah. So, and but the hand controls allow it all to be in your arms, which are are not affected by the MS. Well, that's right, and it also gives you the feeling that you are in control. You've yeah. got your you've got your vehicle under control. Seems safer, much safer. Yeah, safer for me, but safer for other people too. Yeah, and right. I think the other thing too is, in the in the event of having to stop suddenly, you know, putting your hand underneath your leg and lifting your leg, I think adds seconds to the transfer, so it's just less responsive and sometimes you know when you're driving you need to be responsive and i think other drivers on the road should expect that you're responsive there is just one more thing i want to comment on i i exit from the back of my car right mm -hmm. so that means i need about three meters on the other side of my car to come out of my car yep it says that on the back of the door Please don't park within three meters of this this um, this van that somebody needs to access. However, from time to time, I've been blocked in by somebody parked right up against my back. I can't open the door. 
or I've been I've I've parked the car and I've gone off. Someone's parked very close behind me. And when I come back, I'm thinking, you know, I can't even get in my car. So, um, I have words for that, but perhaps not on this <laughs> not on this forum. I don't know and, what the rating is for our podcast, whether it's M or PG or <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I think so we thank you. We should just keep it general. Um, but um, uh, I, I do really like to be there when the, the driver returns and just sit there as if I've been sitting there for hours and just say, I can't get in my car because you're in my way. But now I've kind of taken more control of that and I park more defensively. Mm-hmm. So um, I park with either either on the corner of a road so that nobody's going to come park behind me. Like I'm in the last spot and mm-hmm. i make my i make my three meters for myself and i just get over the fact that that might take me into the next park i might take up two parks i don't care i need the three meters and uh, so i i actively look for parking opportunities where i have that space behind me if it's parallel if it's parallel parking in particular if it's angle parking well there's no problem i can just come out into the road Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I, that's a tip I think is to always think about, well, how am I going to get out? How yeah. am I going to get back in? And how am I going to defend those three meters to stop somebody parking there? Um, uh, because as I said earlier, if they don't have the disability, they just don't understand that you need that space. Uh, I'm imagining uh, on a 40 degree day in the middle of a, a South Australian summer and you're waiting to try and get into your car, someone with MS would really struggle through that. Through that's that right. Yeah. That's right. With the heat sensitivity that comes with it. I think the answer to that is go and have lunch and come back. <laughs> okay, get yourself a cold <laughs> Unfortunately, drink. Unfortunately, sometimes you can do that and come back and another car's chosen to take yeah. the other place. So yeah. it doesn't always work it out, you know. So, But anyway, that that's uh, one issue where you need to really think about um, uh, how am I getting out of here and how am I preserving that space behind me to get out? That's a really, it's a really good tip. And look, we could talk to you forever, but we know our listeners like to uh, listen to about 20 minutes. I think we've gone to 35. So sorry, listeners, if you needed to get somewhere and you really wanted to uh, listen to this interview, Christine, thank you very much for this. But before we wind up, we've got one more question for you. Um, and, but before we do that, we always thank our um, podcast sponsors, uh, Williams OT and Mobility Engineering for bringing you uh, onto this podcast and for this final question. We know that cars are more than getting from A to B and and you've mentioned that uh, multiple times through this interview, but is there one case that you've used your car for that's really meaningful for you um something that's maybe we don't know about or haven't heard about yet but something that's really meaningful for using your car more than just getting from a to b well this is not very mysterious i'm sure you would have picked it up through my conversation and that is that i refer to my car as the independence machine the freedom vehicle so i don't know if you remember there used to be an ad on the TV for bus drivers or something, or no, one of the insurance companies, and they'd say that song, I have to break free, I want to break free. Yeah. Well, I have that on my phone and I just pay it as loud as it will go 
as I go down to the shops. That's my way of getting there, just breaking free and having the capacity to do it. That's what my car means to me. Uh, that's fantastic. Can I, just, can I finish with one last tip? Sure. And that is um, when you go to get your car serviced, you need to tell the mechanic there's going to be no driver's seat. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so I ring them up and I tell them there's no driver's seat. I can stay in the car and get it to where you want it to be, but I'm in a wheelchair and um, I am the driver and I am the driver's seat. So, you know, maybe what you might need to do is shift a seat from the back and bring it round. I don't know. You're Volkswagen. You'll sort it out. But I'm just warning you ahead of time. That's a bit of an issue. And when yeah. I went to pick it up, I go, "So, how did you go?" They said, "Oh, we just stood up and drive." And I thought. Yeah, probably I don't need to know that. But <laughs> it, it's just a complication that you don't necessarily foresee before you're kind of faced with it. You kind of go, oh, goodness uh, me. Christine, we come back after this short little break and do our top three takeaways. We might mention that one because that one, that is actually something that is very important for people to understand. Yeah. But before we do that, we just want to wind it up with yourself and say thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's it, very easy to talk to you. We could go on forever, but uh, I just want to say thanks very much for coming on board and sharing your story from no hand controls through to hand controls and driving through uh, from your wheelchair. If there's anyone that wants to get in contact with you, is there a way that they can do that? Would it, through the show notes be okay? Or is there a way that they can do that? Oh yeah, sure. They can probably email me. Um, uh we can at, provide that in the show notes if you're happy to do that yeah, uh, so. my, my home email is probably the the best way to do it i'm happy to talk to anybody who's kind of thinking about how can i be more mobile and what are some of the issues to think about awesome. um and, and doing the thinking at the beginning i think is the key yeah if anyone wants to contact christine just contact us and we can put you guys in touch yeah so. terrific yep. Fantastic. Thanks again, Christine. We really appreciate uh, your time and your energy today. And look, uh, everybody stick around because Alien and I are going to do our top three takeaways. Christine, thanks very much. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Um, you can hear me a lot clearer now. Thank you very much. Sorry, I had the uh, bit of a microphone issue in the last recording. Um, so we're back. Uh, in this section, we bring you our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interview. This is where we provide our more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry, helping people with disabilities to drive and get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way. I guess one advantage of my microphone being out was that you know, generally I like to talk a lot. Um, so, uh, so uh, the the, list, the 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 guest got to do a lot more speaking this time, and um, yeah. I got to pick pick up a lot of lessons. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that was really good. And um, what's your what, first what, one then, Ellie? What's your first takeaway? What do, well, as first the listener, takeaway, what did you pick up? First takeaway was um, that kind of piece on thinking long term, and particularly, um, it's really highlighted. I mean, we've spoken about this with other, um, you know, disabilities and so on, but it is really highlighted with MS because, like, um, it's it's quite complicated. Like Christine said, it's uh, first of all, MS is progressive and and it's dynamic and filled with uncertainty and and what does ndis want they want certainty they so, want uh, certainty they want a clear cut here's the line in the sand this is where you are right now and with ms one day can be completely different to the next day um some days you, you've got all the energy in the world and then the next day you're flat on a couch unable to move and yeah that, that it's a as an ot it's a it's a big struggle to 
to convince that now's the time, now's the time. But uh, she was saying that think long-term and, and think about the next eight years and, and what is it going to look like to the best of your ability. And, and um, it's not just how you are today versus tomorrow, but when we're talking about significant amounts of funding for vehicles, um, we've got to think eight years because that's that's what NDIS have highlighted in regards to the lifespan of vehicles. And that's what they're funding vehicle modifications for is the lifespan of the car. And you've got to think lifespan of the car is eight years. And, and what am, what function am I going to have in eight years? And, you know, how long's a piece of string? It's impossible to tell what the progression of your MS is going to be like uh, because everyone's different. We've highlighted that in this interview as well, but you've got to, you've got to, I think in this, this space that we're in, you've got to think worst case scenario. I think that's the best way to go. And she did that as well in regards to progressing to those hand controls as well. Let's, let's do this now. Yeah. And, and I think um, as we've mentioned before, uh, and there was a man, uh, she mentioned a couple of things about talking to other people or experiencing what other people with MS have done um, in something like this, it is good to kind of build a bit of a community and it really highlights speaking to that OT that knows what they're doing. You, you really can't go to a, an OT to assist you if they've never dealt with their mess. You know, you're just going to be, it's just, it's going to be really hard, you know, because it is such a complicated thing that that's where the experience um, is going to really kick in, you know? So, um, yeah. so the thing is, is that she could drive with her feet. So uh, that was what she was saying is that she could drive with her feet, but um, she's probably driving fine with her feet, but taking that long-term approach, taking an active approach to safety. Uh, when we just did the interview with uh, Darren Davis last week, in, yeah. and to make sure you go back and check out uh, that interview in regards to making sure that you get home safe to your family, uh, making sure other people get home safe to their family uh, when you're out driving. It's yeah. it's a really good approach that she's taking, being proactive rather than reactive don't react to almost having an accident let's be proactive to avoid an accident and uh, i really applaud her for getting going before it's too late yeah and the, and that kind of brings us to that second lesson um around well first of all the equipment um but leading to the equipment um it's interesting the first scenario um she had set up was like a, a almost like a pseudo assistive technology thing with an, with a support worker. So I thought that was pretty fascinating that she was driving herself, but had a support worker coming with her and helping her with the transfers. And I guess as someone who sells transfer equipment um, from mobility engineering, I thought that was pretty actually impressive to me. It was actually pretty cool. I was like, yes. wow, so utilizing really the NDIS to pay for a carer to come and meet you at work and, and help you with your transfers and then, get you home and help with the transfers at that end as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is a unique way of trying to get your independence. And that's, yeah. you know, we want to give an, a, a shout out to the NDIS for allowing that to, to happen, um, to be able to allow her to continue getting to and from work. I mean, that's, that's huge, but geez, we want to also highlight, she yeah. calls it a freedom freedom machine i think it was i just yeah, want to break right. free is what she plays in her car um you know she yeah. mentioned it as well yeah that, and that ability to go out for lunch that's she right couldn't yeah. do that before unless the carer was pre-organized to come and take her out for lunch and that's 
Yeah, massive... and that was that was really what I thought was a huge highlight there. She was saying how much time she was wasting, even though it was a great kind of creative solution. Time, and we know with NDIS, money um, with support workers is endless. So, you know, um, then one thing I thought she mentioned there, which, as I said to you uh, in the break, sounded almost like a bit of a catch call for the NDIS, um, doing what you want to do just takes the right equipment. Um, and, and I thought that was a beautiful line. Um, that's what, what uh, Christine was saying. And um, that basically got rid of all of her lag times, all of her, um, you know, uh, mucking around and transferring in and out, got a new car and just gets in and out. And, um, you know, uh, it's just, yeah. And funding wise, um, like we've said, some of this stuff is quite expensive, um, but it's a finite cost for eight years, you know, um, that NDIS support worker scenario, taking a lot of time, probably pushing a lot of independence confidence out of you. And then also, um, yeah, uh, just spending endless money. So great solution. Um, but I just thought I wanted to highlight the fact that she had that original scenario approved by NDIS. And again, shout out to the concept and the beauty of NDIS because it's a user chooses and whatever suits you as an individual you know and the fact that she was able to kind of go you know what me as an individual suits me to get this person to help me and so on and so forth rather than i need this equipment and the ndis allows her to do that mm-hmm. um, i thought that was almost beautiful you know that was, that was a really nice yeah. um, uh, I, I hope some people at the ndis are listening because that's how the ndis was designed um and i feel sometimes that we're losing that i mean we we um had a case this week where uh, someone wanted side entry uh, into a van and wanted to be able to have options for the future to be a front passenger, but then look at becoming a driver, uh, but having the kids uh, in the back. So a different setup to what Christine's having, but side entry. So she could have the three kids, uh, three seats across the back for her kids, uh, being able to access her kids, be able to get, in and help her kids and and create a five-seater car but the person at the nds ndis is pushing for uh basically a kia conversion pushing 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 for a kia conversion where she's a second row passenger because their take on the scenario is that she'll be closer to her kids in the back row i don't know how many parents choose to sit in the back seat with their kids um without a disability <laughs> I, I know that's the further i want to be as far away from that yeah, seat the worst as i can as an adult i want to be in the front and let the chaos happen behind me i it's yeah. i want I, I i hope that ndis are listening to this um and and can see that everyone is individual and different individual needs need to be taken into account yeah and um on that on the third lesson i think um was uh, another thing, another one-liner that Christine mentioned, which I guess talks further on from that equipment piece is the car is an extension of the wheelchair. And I thought, again, that was a beautiful one-liner, particularly when you're driving from the wheelchair. I guess I imagined you're able to go dock in and then you've got like a bigger wheelchair that can take you everywhere. And, And I've never thought of it that way again as a person. I mean, for me, I thought this was pretty good for some uh, marketing, <laughs> marketing one-liners, um, definitely. But um, but yeah, I again never thought of it like that, and it's a it, it is really cool. Like you when you are able to drive from the wheelchair, you just dock into a bigger wheelchair that's faster, and it can take you to more places, and that's pretty awesome, you know. And and you get out where you are, and you dock out and come out the back and go wherever you need to go. So that's that's really cool. 
Yeah, no, that was that was a great one, one. I loved it. It's an extension of your wheelchair. How good is that? And it's just a bigger one. It's undercover. It goes it goes 100 k's an hour and uh, can drive for five hours, like she did uh, where she was mentioning she'd been for a long drive with cruise control. How cool is that? Um, mm. Just a couple of things. We we when we said goodbye to Christine, we we did some problem solving. The products that she's mentioning, so the car was converted by Auto Mobility, not Access Mobility. So Auto Mobility in Melbourne, shout out to them. Uh, and the hand control that she had is a Kiwi hand control on the left-hand side, and it's a thumb slider action. So she uses her thumb and forefinger to slide the controller. Uh, you might have the technical name for it, Ali. Yeah, the uh, CT12. CT12. Um, and on the back of it are, are the buttons for indicators and uh, and then a and then a rocket booster, her her uh, extra button to give her that extra power to to get up the freeway uh and and get to that hundred Ks and, and beyond. So um yeah, her rocket launcher for her flames. Um it was a great interview. She's got yeah. so much, so much to share. She's uh able to to give a real good insight to her life uh, with MS and driving from her wheelchair. We really want to say uh, thank you to her. Thank you very much, Christine. All right. So as we, as we wind up, uh, we just want to do a shout out to our sponsors again. Uh, this show is, is takes a lot of production and um, we want to thank uh, Williams OT and mobility engineering Williams OT uh, is driver assessment and rehab and they offer all the pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities to be able to reach their driving and community mobility goals and mobility engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focused on bringing Australia's largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. As we say in every episode, the advice provided in this podcast is general in nature. So if you've got any queries and you want to see what will work for you, make sure that you get in contact with your local OT and mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial because tri trials really do put you in the driver's seat. So that's it for this episode. Ali, thanks very much for your time. Christine, a shout out to you. Thank you very much as well. And we'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able Podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.